Good to see everybody. Good morning. We're a couple weeks deep into the book of Acts. Uh, Steve's got us started in that. So if you don't know where that is at, in the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in their entirety. And then right after that comes Acts, and it really just tells us what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. It's sort of what it is. The theme or the main idea of this book comes from the first chapter. It's the words of Jesus, and he said this. It's 1-8. I'm going up. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. He's going to empower you to be witnesses, and then you're going to go tell people about me in first Jerusalem. That's where the whole thing is centered. So Christ died in Jerusalem. And then from there, it just goes out from Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So that's the main idea. Acts just shows you how it happens. Who went? What'd they say? What happened when they went there? Just that description. I heard one guy describe Acts like this. It's like watching one of those movies where a small virus breaks out in a sleepy little town, right? And then it starts to spread and spread and spread. Like, um, and it breaks out of the town and it gets worse and worse and worse. Like Outbreak or Contagion or one of those movies. Ever seen those? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Well, you know, it spreads, and then there's always that part in the movie where it's spread so much that the, the scientists get involved, and there's a great big room, and the scientists are meeting with the general or the president. It's usually played by Morgan Freeman because he always plays that person. And, there, and there's a big map on the wall, and they say, sir, this is 24 hours, and then this is 48, and this is 72. And if we don't do something... Have you seen that movie? Okay, good. Because if you hadn't, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Not really. Now, for us, in the book, something's spreading. What is it? What's the red that is spreading? It's not a zombie apocalypse, right? It's the gospel. It's the good news, which is what? Let's understand it. This is what's being passed in this book from person to person to person. The gospel is... It describes how things are between you and God. So I'll just ask you that this morning. How are things between you and God? What's the truth about that? From your perspective, the, the gospel is actually from his perspective, but what do you think? What's the first thing you think when I say, this morning, wherever you are, how are things between you and God? Like, I don't know. Good, some are good, some are like, depends if he saw me yesterday. He did. Here's what he says. Initially, not good. Because, from his perspective, you, I'll say you a lot, but I mean me too, you naturally don't really think about me much. Everything comes from me. I created everything, but mostly you're not interested in me. There's apathy towards me. You don't really care. What I do see that you care about is the stuff that I make. Your heart easily hooks. You love that stuff. You love creative things. You don't even think about me so much. It's not that you dislike me. You just don't really care. You're indifferent towards me. How easy is it in life just to pour yourself into life and everything that we're doing and give very little thought to God at all? Like you can't, hey, you might come to church and you sing the songs. I believe in God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the resurrection and all that. But so what? You just sang it, but you're going to, it doesn't, indifference. Have you been apathetic towards God in any way and loved his stuff more than him? Is that alive in you? So he would describe that as part of who you are. You really don't care. 
And this comes into it too. When you do figure out that I have something for you, like you might come to church and you might hear the Ten Commandments and you might hear the thou shalt nots. As soon as you hear the thou shalt nots, your first thought is, oh yes, I will. Because who knows how to run your life better than you? You sure don't need him to do it. And so there's some rebellion in it. How many would say, yeah, I know vaguely what God would have for me, but I choose to go this way and turn my back on it. So there's apathy and indifference. I don't really care. And even when I do, I want to go the other way from it. And what he says is that apathy and indifference and rebellion, that separates us. But, here's the good part, I want you back. Now, do we deserve it? Did we do anything? No. So you got to think, he wants you back like a good dad. A good dad has two parts. They love you like crazy. You've gone your own way. They love you like crazy, but there's an edge to him. A good dad has an edge to him. Like, never take that away from God. He's altogether good and loving, but your sin will be punished. A good dad has both. You don't want just a, you don't want a grandpa dad. Like a dad dad. So he's going to punish it, but this is what he said. I want you back, but your sin will be punished. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up, I'm going to raise up my own son to take the punishment for all you did so I can have you back all together. It's described this way. This is what was going out. First Peter. He sent his son to suffer for those sins once and for all. Is that enough for you? One time for all time. One time for all time to take the rebellion of the world out of the way so he could get you back all together. The righteous for the unrighteous. Who's the righteous in this? It's Christ. Who's the unrighteous? Us. That he might bring you back to God. Christ on the cross is, this is the story, Christ on the cross is the forgiveness of God and the acceptance of God held out to you of no doing of your own. Believe it, receive it. And people did. People did, people did, people did. Like, over and over and over again. That is the message that was going forward. Christ on the cross is a giant welcome back from God. Believe it and receive it, and they did. So it started off in Jerusalem, 120, and then it started to go. 3,000 said yes, and then 5,000. And so chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, we're actually in 6 and 7 today. But but before this point, it's growing and growing and growing. So much so that by chapter 6, it says many, like multitudes of people were saying yes to this. That's what was spreading. So in terms of our map, Jerusalem is turning red. It's spreading, which is a good, it's, that's a good thing. But that's not the whole story. So this is what happens next, 6 and 7. It centers on a guy named Stephen who is a believer. He's come to receive that that cross is such good news for him. He's so excited that God would actually forgive him and take him back because he knows who he was. He knows he was indifferent and apathetic and rebellious, but God said, I'll take you back. He can't help but tell people out of joy. He just can't keep it to himself. And as he speaks it out, the good news, people are saying, yes, yes, yes. It says, this is what it describes him. The first time we see Stephen, it says, full of grace and power. So he's an effective witness. People were, now, 
all kinds of people are coming in and it's growing, but not everyone is happy. So there's, there's some opposition that exists in the first couple of chapters. The opposition comes from people, there's a simple way to think about it, people who believe a different story about how things are between us and God. Now, in the Bible, they're called Pharisees or Sadducees or whatever, but don't be confused by that. When you see it, just know this. They believe a different story about how things are between us and God. This was their story. Stephen said, we blew it, but God was gracious like a good dad. He punished our sin, but he didn't do it to us, did it to his son, and now we're back. He made us, he made us right. All we have to do is accept it. Their story said, one, if you want to be right with God, one, be a Jew. Difficult for some of us. Be a Jew. Go to temple on Sabbath. Go to church. And have you sinned? You can answer this one. Have you sinned? Okay, bring something with you. So the one part about Stephen's story that is right is that God demands payment for sin. Someone will pay. You got to bring something to sacrifice for it. So the, bring a sheep or a goat or something, because God will demand payment for that sin. Bring that. Listen to the priest and do what the word says. Like, do it. And then once you've done all that, and you've got it all done for the week, once you've done it all, then do it all again next week. And then do it all again next week, and do it all again. If you want to be right, then do it. And don't tell me that Jesus can just float in here and take all that away. Like, Jesus can just make it all right automatically. So they're not, they just have a different story about what makes us right. Just as a side point, does any of that sound like good news to you? Like, figure it out yourself and try really hard and then do it all over again next week, forever. So they conspire against Stephen, and they say, it's a lie, but they say that he's, he's said bad things about Moses, which doesn't sound terrible to me. Sound bad to you? Not really. But then you just couldn't do it. Just wasn't. You couldn't say you were God, and you couldn't slam Moses. Those are kind of big things. But he, they said he did, so he finds himself. It's actually a courtroom drama. There, it's the same court that tried Christ on trumped-up charges. It was false charges to him. Now he has his own false charges, and they say, essentially, in this courtroom drama, what do you have to say for yourself? And he answers. Chapter 7 is his answer to the court. And he says, God comes in and takes over. It said, Stephen, full of grace and power. So you can tell by his answer that God comes in and gives him the words to say because he summarizes the entire Old Testament in about five minutes. And he says this. He goes all the way from Abraham to Jesus. And he says, listen, guys, you should have known. You should have told us about Christ because Abraham was pointing us to Jesus. Abraham was counted right by God by faith. He was counted right by God, not because of what he did, but because he trusted what God said. Look at Abraham's life. He didn't live it perfectly. And you're, you're over here asking us to live perfectly. The father of faith didn't live perfectly. And that's what Christ's message was. Believe, trust me, and I will make you right. He was the, Abraham was pointing us to Jesus. Moses, I wasn't slamming Moses. Moses was a mediator on a mountain between God and people. He just was the go-between. 
And he brought the law so that we could be right with God. But all I was, all I was saying was Jesus was a better Moses. He was like a better go-between between us and God. Not only did he do all the stuff in the law that we couldn't do, but he actually paid for all our sin. He's like, he's just better. And the law, like the law, all the stuff that you're making us do, that was supposed to push us towards Jesus because it was so heavy. Like, even you guys can't do it. You know you can't do it. You look good from the outside, but you can't do it. The weight of all of it was supposed to say, we can't, we need help, and Christ was the help. 353 times the writers of the Old Testament said, because God told them to say it, I'm going to send someone to help you, to save you. And you had a front row seat, and you knew it was all pointing to him. It was right there. No one knew it better than you, and you wouldn't tell us. Or you couldn't tell us. You were supposed to tell us. Now I have to tell you. Believe and receive. You, you, there's a different story about how things are. It's actually empathetic. Like he's, he wants them to believe. But then he ends it this way, which could have gone better. Like he was doing good. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you just killed, betrayed, and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. It's you that are wrong. It's not me. Brilliant speech. Terrible defense. So they say, for that, you will die today. They take him outside the city, and they start to pelt him with rocks until he's dead. He's the first guy since Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to die for actually doing it. There's a guy there that day, his name is Saul, and it says he delighted in the death of Stephen because he thought we could actually put a stop to all this nonsense. He believed a certain way to be right with God, and this was polluting that way. And if we can stop it, if we can kill it, we'll do whatever we can. We can actually put an end to it. So when the ground was soaking up the blood of Stephen, it said he delighted in that. He never threw a stone that day, this saw. He held the coats of those who were throwing stones because it's hard to throw a stone hard enough to kill a man when you're wearing a cloak. So, on that day, it's a huge transition in the story. On the, this is 8 chapter 1. On that day that Stephen died, this is what happened. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, kicking in the doors. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now here's verse 4. And because of that persecution, people start to leave. Those who had been scattered because of that preached the word wherever they went. So it's a big shift. Now, if you're reading the story so far, it's going pretty good, and then it goes bad. So it's a bad couple of chapters, but I want you to think about the map, what's happening to our map. 
In Jerusalem, it was all filling up, and it was red, and that was very good, but that's not the whole story. Now, because of this, what's happening? It starts to spread in other places. Specifically, where is it starting to go? These Jesus people, where are they going? It says they went to Judea, and they went to Samaria. It doesn't say ends of the earth, but if we were to get in this a little bit deeper, you would figure out that's where they went. Right after that, someone goes to Ethiopia, someone goes to Damascus. It's really starting to get out there. Who said it would go there way back in chapter 1? The answer in church is always Jesus. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus said that. Were you? Good job, guys. Awesome. He said, where did he say it was going to go in chapter 1? It's going to go, now is it going there? So the plan is unfolding. The plan is unfolding. So what does that mean for us? What's the takeaway? And I decided to, to, to settle on one today. So how about a sermon with one point? Sound good? Good. As I read, just read chapters 1 through 8 in Acts, and just read it through, and you see what happens. Here's the picture. If we just look at it from up here, here's what's happening. That it went really good for a few for a while. Like, life in Jerusalem, for those who believed, was really, really good for a while. But then, God was willing to let them be uncomfortable so good things could happen for others. So I made this point for us. If you read the first eight chapters, it seems like God is never going to be satisfied if the good news comes to you but stops with you. It's great if it comes to you. There's a tremendous cost to be paid for the good news to come to you. The, 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 the speaking forth of, of what Jesus said will always cost somebody something, and that's good that you've received it. But if it stops with you, there's something about that that's incomplete. I'm not saying it's sinful. It's just not all that God has. It's not enough. I'm glad it's come to you. Maybe you have believed and received, but what have you done with it? And it seems like, from reading this, that God's not satisfied if you've received it. He's glad that you have, but there's a responsibility to do something more. So let me help you see it. If we go back, so six and seven's over here. Stephen just got hit in the head with a rock and died. But over here, before that, some of the best descriptions of the Christian life found in all of the Bible are in early Acts. So the thing, we actually still aspire to what they experience today. Like, we look back on it and go, man, I wish we could get that here. So this is what it was like early on. Look at this. This is 242. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here's what happened. Before the gospel, the, the generosity of God came to these people, it was everybody for themselves. But now a new community of believers who believed God was generous with them, now they became, as believers, they became generous with one another. That's how it works. When you start to realize what God has done, it changes you, and you start to push that out to other people. So now, if you were in this community, things were good. If you had a need, somebody else would meet it. Before that, nobody cared. So life was really, really good for some people, and it used to not be. So they, they loved it. It was going well for them. It says 
that all day and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they were going to church together. They were having meals together. There was new community. They had great small groups. It was wonderful. Like happy church people are just bubbling up out of Jerusalem. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So it wasn't just things were going good inside. For the most part, outside, their relationships, it was going well with all people. This was a really great time. And listen, Stephen was a part of that. He helped make it. It was really, really good. But as good as that was, there's something about that was incomplete because at the same time, this is what I want you to see, um, that was the main dish. But at the same time, there was something boiling up here in the background that's going to spill over and it's going to cause it to change that. So just think about a stove for a minute. God's doing the cooking. The main dish in the front is the gospel. And is it going good? 242, is it going good? It's going really good. But he also has something, and it, and it runs in the back of the story that's starting to come to a boil. And when that boils over, it's going to change this dramatically in a big way. And what's boiling up here in the background is persecution. He, it, it starts real small, and then it escalates all the way to what we saw today. My little brother actually gave me a message on the first part of Acts. And I didn't see this before, but it starts real slow, and it starts to come up, and then it spills over. In chapter 2, everything's going really good. 3 is going good. In chapter 4, they get their first warning. The people that believe a different story about how things are with God, they call these Jesus people in, and they, they lock them up for a day, but they give them a warning. They say, essentially, stop it. Stop saying what you're saying, and then they let them go. So it's like a slap on the wrist. That's chapter 4. Did they stop? They didn't. So chapter 5, the slap on the hand goes to a whip to the back. They arrest him again. They bring him in. And they say, stop it. And then before they let him go, they whip them. Just as a reminder, we're serious about this. Don't do it. Do they stop after chapter 5? They don't. And so in chapter 6, now you get a rock to the head. Because we want you to stop it. So it goes just a warning, to a beating, now to death, because we want, and now it says it just bubbles over, and that persecution wasn't with a few, now it was with everyone. Here's what that means for your small group. Let's, let's go back to, everything was good, right? It was great, and you were, you went to church, and you went over, at, and they had people over afterwards, and the kids were playing, and some sister in the church made some awesome macaroni and cheese, and everyone's happy about it, and you're, you're going to have a little prayer, like, God is great, God is good, and everyone's happy, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Boom! Call, Saul kicks in the door of your small group, and he calls you off to prison. Why does that happen? Like, we didn't even finish praying. It was, gonna, it was going so good. Why does Saul kick in your door all of a sudden? And let me back up. Who's letting it happen? God's letting it happen. But everything was so great. It was great, but it was never intended to be awesome for a few. It was supposed to be good news for a lot. And so God is okay with a few being uncomfortable if, if everyone can hear. And so it went from comfort to Saul kicking in your door, and then people went on the move. It's easy, listen, this isn't all of us, it's easy to be comfortable if it comes to you to just stop. I'll give you a good example just about this church. In the beginning, it started with 
maybe 100 people, I don't know, maybe 40. And it was, it was gritty, and there was risk-taking, and they planted in a, it was like a rented space in the school, and then it grew, and then they had to rent a new place, a new place in the school, and so it just kept growing, and people were taking chances. It took a tremendous amount of work just to do service. We had setup crews, and we had to redo cafeterias to have children's church, and it was an unbelievable amount of work, but it kept going and going and going, and God finally blessed us with this building, and we came, and a whole bunch of people gave, and pretty soon the building debt was paid off, and it settled in, and then everyone was like, oh, God is so good, and we have a building, and now we can just relax and sit and be and receive, and pretty soon you lose that edge. And as good as all that is, Acts chapter 1 through 8 says, there's more. There's something about that that's incomplete. And he's willing to let the door get kicked in on all that to get it moving because the gospel always has to be moving from where it is to where it isn't. The gospel always has to be moving from where it is to where it isn't. And God is completely okay if that's an uncomfortable process for those who have it, because one is greater than the other. So if you care to, in, in, the, in the bulletin, 242 through 47 is in there. And if you care to, if you could just write incomplete over that, because it, it's good, but it's not all. Never make that the end goal. So if what that means for all of us in this room is, or what it means for everyone who's believed and received is, we have to figure out if we can see our map again. This is what it means. If the good news has come to you, you and I, we have to figure out how we're going to be a part of that. How are you going to be a part of that? Because if you've received it, think about a chain. Somebody, there's a link in a chain and a link in a chain and a link in a chain, and it's come all the way to you. And somebody, maybe like me, has brought the good news to you, the gospel. And it will always cost someone to bring it to you. There's a cost that's paid for being on this platform. Absolutely. So it's come to you, but if you've received it, then is there, are you the last link in the chain? What have you done with it? In Acts chapter 1 through 8, you, you have to realize that there's something about this, something about that. I'm not calling it sinful, but I am calling it incomplete. And so how will you specifically participate in that? And there's all kinds of ways. For every single one of us, we're all so different. I'm so different from you, from you, from you. You're different from me. And it, it will happen through us. God will work through us in very different ways. So there's not one answer. But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to be uncomfortable if, if you've received it and have done nothing with it. I do want you to be uncomfortable. That's incomplete. But I also want you to be encouraged by showing that God will do it in a variety of different ways. So this is how it's happened for me to someone who is not necessarily, listen, I'm not the last one on my chain. There, someone paid the price to bring it to me, and I paid the price to keep it going. But this is how it's worked. For someone who's not necessarily, or, or who is more of an introvert than an extrovert. Like, I don't, like, I don't run to large crowds. It's, I'm more, I, more often it's in me to retreat from something like that, which is a little bit odd because Crowds are a part of my life, which I suppose God has a sense of humor. He'll just do whatever he wants. But that's just how I am. 
Uh, we have a guy that's connected to our family. Um, his name is Sam. Um, we couldn't be more different. If Sam is driving by, he's stopping by. You know anybody like that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll probably see him today. Not because we have plans, just because he drove by. And he'll stop by. And there's something about him, like, I never mind if he does. Do you know what that person's like? They're just, they just check on you. They have nothing. They're like, what do you, what do you need? Nothing. Oh, <laughs> this is weird to me. But that's Okay. You know, he'd check on me. He's a friend of my daughter. Sometimes he checks on her. Sometimes he just sees what we have to eat. What's for supper? <laughs> and it's never that, though. He's just, I like him. I'm just not, I like him. I'm just not like him. You know, if I'm driving by, I'm just driving by. I'm probably not stopping by. But God can use that. This is how it's happened in my life. I came to a place where I wanted my life to resemble the Word. I didn't always want my life to resemble what I read, but I did come to a place where I did. And so, if you want your life to resemble the Word, you do have to read it. And I did, and I read it. Now, this is how the Spirit of God has worked in my life. So, if it's a mystery to you, this is how it's worked for me. When I read the Word, the Spirit will plant something in, well, I'll read it and it will stick. Listen, when I read the Word, not everything sticks. Some of it I just read. Does everything stick for you? But when I read it, certain things do. They, they stick. So he'll plant it there, and then when I need it, he kicks it up later. So he's like a planter and then a reminder. The primary work that I've seen in his life is he will remind me of what I've already read. He'll remind me of the Word. He'll remind me of the Word when I need it. So when I read, these are some of the things that he's planted in me from an early age. This, I think it comes from... Thessalonians, if possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. I like that. I read that, and something about it stuck. And so it's just in there for me, and it actually comes to the place where it guides my life. Like, that's how I want to live. I don't want to be in conflict. I, I want it to be peaceful in every direction, and I work for it. Why do I work for it? I value that. This one stuck. I think about it often. It's just the last part of this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. This is a guy named Paul talking. And God's grace was not without effect. I love that. That's in there. It's just hooked. I love the fact that grace was not without effect in someone's life because that's how it works. It can't work another way. Do you know what will change your life? When you get the goodness and greatness of God and you realize he's for you. How do you know God is for you? How do you know he's for you? He was willing to raise up his son to get sin out of the way. He's for you. I don't care what you're going through. He's for you. And when you realize he's for you first, that grace or favor, it changes you. You will never change anyone by demanding that they do something. Never. It will never produce what you want. But when you realize that person is for you, it changes. Grace changes you. And then you do do what they want out of Surrender or love. That's the way it works. I love that. That's the way I want to be. Grace. I want to be graceful because it's had an effect on my life. It changes how I deal with people. This one. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. That's what I want. I just want to live quietly. I, I like that. And these things stick. Now, for the first 10 years out of college, I built houses. 
And in that industry, you're gonna fight, you will run into big personalities. Guys are loud, they yell a lot, they think the only way they're gonna get something built or get it done is to yell a lot and ram it through and demand it. And I, I always, I never liked it. I was never that way, ever. I didn't, you could get just as much done and you could build just as many houses and you could do it on time and make just as much money being nice. You could. You didn't have to yell and do all that stuff. And so that's what I did. And those guys around me, like subcontractors would help me to get everything done, they noticed. And here's how I know they noticed. My job trailer at the end, you know, after a while, my job, job trailer at the end of the day became kind of like a counseling center. Like people just kind of cruising in and talking to me about their life, you know, just what was going wrong. I mean, I never asked them to. They just to sit down. A carpet layer drank too much. And he can't show up for work, and he knows it's wrong. And he, but there's something about the way I'm going about life. He, he, something about the way I was going about life said to this guy, "Well, he might have something that I could benefit from." So, he, and when they came, I knew what to say because I'd already put it in there. And it wasn't profound in any way. I'm not saying that. It was sometimes really simple. Like sometimes it was like, I think you should not have two girlfriends, just one, and then marry her. And you're like, what? You think that'll help? <laughs> I do. I think that'll help. Where are you getting this knowledge? Well... There are Christians today, concrete, pouring, loud mouth, foul mouth, drunken people, Christians today because of it. And never once did I have to, never once did I lead with or run anyone down with Jesus. Never once. The crazy thing about it was it happened because I... I wanted to live quietly and gracefully. Now, though I wasn't a pushover, the Bible also says, you like to eat, you better work. So if you're not going to work, I'm not going to pay you. So I didn't just, but it, they came to me. There's a verse in scripture that says, we were the aroma of Christ to those who were being saved and those who were perishing. There's another one that says, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. Kind of two ways, really, to go about it. If I were to pick one, like, I didn't necessarily, de I wasn't determined to take it to them. I was just determined to live a certain way, kind of just the aroma, if you will, and then they came to me. And it worked. So... I know you've heard the go and tell message a thousand times, but you, there's not one way. I don't know. That's how he made me. For Sam, it would be way different. There's nothing about Sam that would say, I aspire to live quietly <laughs> and to myself. Not at all. God uses that too. I don't know how you are, but don't worry about how you are. Sometimes it's as simple as just you know it, you live it, and you know what to say when they come. Now, I will tell you this. I've done just as much violence to the witness, to my witness, and to the mission by ignoring the word. But here's what you do. So, let's be honest. No one's perfect, and I have absolutely blown it with people who are, they're watching. 
Here's what you do. It's still okay. If you've absolutely blown it, a quick apology early and often will be, that will, that will do as much for the mission as right living. Because when they realize, if you've wronged somebody and they realize they don't have to bust you in your sin, but you have something in your life bigger that's already busted you in your sin, and you go, you're sensitive to it and you're earnest about it and you say you're sorry, that's as much missional as right living. Some of you, the best thing you could do for the mission today is to go where you know you need to go and just say that you're sorry. Because you're wrecking your witness and you're, you're jacking up the mission. So just go say you're sorry. It will do as much as anything. So, be encouraged. I want you to be uncomfortable. And I haven't done anything with it. But be encouraged because it works a whole bunch of different ways. Now, I was thinking, all right, another example. Who do I know? that has multiplied themselves. So I can show you another way. And as I was putting this together, the first name that came to my mind was a guy named Jared. Now there's a lot that came to my mind, but Jared is one. Jared is someone who has not been content with the good news coming to me, but he is built into others. Someone built into him, and now he's building into others. He's multiplying himself. Now those he's multiplying are a little bit shorter than he is, which is okay. I don't think height is a requirement. All right. But this is how it's happened to him. For him growing up, the good news came in lots of different forms. But one of the ways in which people built into him the truths of Scripture was through like a Bible quiz team. And through that experience, he, he said that he didn't always have the right motive with his Bible quiz team. Sometimes he just wanted the trophy. And I think he won a few. Sometimes he just wanted the trophy, but God still used it. He would say today that large portions of God's word are hooked in his heart today because of the work that happened there. Now, here's the thing. Here's what he's done. He's taken that experience, and he's just built it into others. He started, he started to work with the youth here on a quiz team. Here they are. I don't know if you knew that we had one. Here they are in competition. That one right there, that's May. See, May? See how intense Bible, Bible quizzing is? She's pretty intense. She told me at 9 o'clock before we were out there in the foyer, she's like, it is on today. They're going to come up here in a little bit. So there they are in competition, but here they are in person. So I'd like to invite to the platform Jared and the team, or part of the team. Sorry, grab that. This is Jared, everyone. Jared, I'm going to have you introduce the part of your team here. Okay, we had uh, 14 students do it this year. Uh, who we have up here is Noah Thompson, Caitlin Bedwell, and May Hirely. Okay. Now, um, this is what we, he's going to talk just uh, briefly in a little bit, but we thought we would start this way. We'll just show you a little bit about how it goes. They've studied and been studying. How many months have you studied? Couple? Since Three? September. Okay. Long time. So they've studied this book and they've got truth of scripture. They're hooked in their heart. And so we wanted to show you a little bit of, of what they've been able to put in there. 
And we'll just do it in the way that they're used to doing it. This is, a, this is kind of the same bench they sit on in competition. The first one, if you can kind of see the raised seat there, the first one off the seat wins. So if I stand up, it breaks the connection, and then my little light will turn on there, and he'll know that I'm the first one up. Now, if you're the first one up, you've got to have the right answer. So we're just going to do this a little bit, um, a friendly competition in love between me and them. <laughs> right, May? It's friendly. So Jared's going to read the question, questions that they have studied for months, and I have not. <laughs> and then we'll just see how it goes. So they studied about 400 different um, questions about God's character, uh, basic things about Scripture, different stories, um, and also verses that were, they had to quote. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of a variety. Um, so Ready? All right. Usually there's two teams of four competing against each other. Since we have one bench, I thought we'd do green versus gray. So. It's fitting, I think. All right, so first question. How many of you... See, and if you, if you jump before the question's over, you got to finish the question, so. How many books are in the Bible? 66. That's correct. How did you get that, Chad? We had a bit of an arrangement before service. <laughs> <laughs> but it's we'll okay. We'll see how he does from here this on This is out. just a friendly competition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Not that we're keeping score. Next question. What do we mean that the Bible is... Finish number four. Finish the question. What do we mean when we say that the Bible is infallible? Answer. That it cannot fail and it has no errors. Correct. That's good. Okay, question. How many years did it take to write the Bible? Number four. Answer. Uh, approximately 1,600. Correct. I was going to say 40. No. <laughs> okay, we're going to get a little bit harder. All right, finish this verse. All scripture. <laughs> All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Correct. I know that in the ESV, so it's messing me up a little bit, but that's all right. If you're going to use that, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, quote this verse. I'll give you the reference. You have to quote it. Genesis 1.1. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> See a pattern here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's correct. Very good. All right. When they get to Hebrews 4.12, it gets worse, but nevertheless, um, this is what's been going on for months. Now, I want uh, Jared just to talk a little bit about what it's meant for him, and then I want to show you something at the end. I guess the reason uh, we started this is because I tend to be apathetic and comfortable, just like Chad was saying, and uh, I just wanted a way for my, for my own family uh, to, be in, to have a way to be intentional about storing up these things in our hearts and um, to have it when we need it. And um, really the, the neat thing that's been for me is that it's become a, 
a group of families that are doing that together. And um, I've gotten just as much from the parents and the students as, as I've given probably more. And um, so I wanted to show you this too. Um, before the first service, um, one of the boys, Aiden, uh, we're t they were asking me, so we got to sit through the sermon today, the whole thing? <laughs> and I said, yeah. It's how so. you become a great Bible quizzer, but I guess he doesn't know. So I gave him a pen and told him to draw. And at, right before we came up here, I looked over and what Aiden had drawn was, and he told me this, I didn't prompt it at all. This is just what came out. Um, he said it's the whole story of the Bible and it has characters labeled the people that he thought were important in the whole story. And um, I just thought that was so awesome that unprompted what, what's coming up out of his heart is what he's stored in there and that's, that's God's word. And um, I was looking at Caitlin's paper too before we came up here and she had drawn the bridge metaphor of us as sinful on one side and um, God on the other side and the, the cross making the way. And so I'm just thankful that's, that's what it's all about is storing that up in their hearts. Very good. Uh, guys, you want to come here? Just kind of line up this way. Well, I want you to see, and what I thought of initially is, is multiplication. That all this came to him and he, he didn't see fit to keep it to himself, but then he builds into others. But not only that, just the potential that exists right there. Like, who knows? Who knows what God will do with that? All that stuff has been stored in, so who knows what God's going to do with it? And it just keeps going and going and going. Thank you. Thank you, God. So it's going to look something, I don't know how it will look for you, but, but don't pay attention to the experience that, that God gave you. I mean, it's Bible quizzing is one connector, but it could just as easily be anything else. And it doesn't necessarily have to be nice. It can be dark. It can be addiction or certain pain or whatever you're going through, but God can use it to connect, but he tends to use it all. So um, I want to encourage you a little bit further with this. I'll send you out of here with it. I found these and I found them to be, I found these this week on, if you Google together for the gospel, um, and this will come up, this won't, but you just click on the video link. And all of these are stories of, of someone paying the price in some way to bring the gospel to someone else. And then you get to see what God did with it. And they're all different. Here's what I like about them. They're all different. There's no one way. And the people are all, the people that are reached, they're all so vastly different. And it was only going to happen in a certain way. And then God just did it. The, this one a few in particular that I liked, um, the guy, lower left Billy, he's brilliant. The other guy, not so much. They're in, they're in university together. This guy on this side, he has the gospel. They also are having a gospel event with snow skiing. This guy is brilliant, and he loves to snow ski, so he goes, unsuspecting. Like, he didn't really think that this was going to end this way. He, he had it all figured out, how things would go between he and God, and then at that event, God just invaded all that to say, it's not about all that you do and the perfection that is you. It's what I've done for you. And it, he would say, at the end of all these, it just says, right, I am a Christian because someone brought the gospel to me. And there's a price to be paid for all that. The one over here, um, 
The guy there lost his brother. They're actually brother and sister. They lost their brother at 15. It was an accident. He believed that he was a Christian. He was so hurt by that. He just wanted to end his own life. He thought if he could just smoke a few cigarettes, walk out in front of this next bus, then he would get to see his brother. And the last guy in the world you, you thought would ever reach that guy was just like a big, burly, three-piece suit-wearing Baptist preacher guy. And he just lays out for him what he was missing in his life. And you never think it's going to hit, and yet it does. The one at the top, um, it's actually a guy from East Asia. You can't be openly Christian in certain places in the world. I mean, so when the gospel in places like East Asia goes out, sometimes it gets pushed underground because of persecution. But that guy's testimony is that it's, it's exploded so much underground that they can't keep it underground anymore. It just keeps popping up all over the place because you'll never stop it. It will just never stop it. And it just keeps going. As a matter of fact, when we started this series, the Acts series, on the very first week, just a few ago, three people gave their life to Christ for the very first time. So it can't be stopped, but everybody has to figure out in what way are you going to be a part of it. So be uncomfortable, but be encouraged. And just sort of one last thought for those who have not believed and received. I don't know what you think about this relationship on how it will go. I don't know what you think about God or yourself and how it will all work. But there is not a better answer in all the world, you'll never find it than God saying, you couldn't, but I could. Welcome back. You'll, you can search and search and search, but you'll never find a better answer. This, the forgiveness of God and the acceptance of God held out to you because of everything that he did. And just believe it. You've heard it again today. Believe it and receive it. Don't let your heart be so hard. Let your ears actually hear it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the word and what you do with it. And I just pray that you do what only you can do with it. Um, it's inspired. So press everyone with the first eight chapters. Don't let us be comfortable. Um, and cause some of us today to believe. I ask it in the good and great name of Jesus. And everybody said.